Jason. Today's episode of the Lee's Summit Town Hall podcast is brought to the good people by Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. Budget Blinds! Woo! We haven't actually done a new breed in a while, so Woo. I feel I felt good. I know it's like you're limbering up some old, some old, uh, some old muscles. Let me let me bring it back. And we're old enough that we may be sore when this is over. Did you know? Oh, tell me. The budget blinds is your home for enlightened style shades. All hail our robot shade overlords. I haven't seen our friends in a little bit, but I gotta tell you, they're good people. They're good people. And they do good stuff in the community. They do. And on top of that, if you want the stuff to make your home even better, all the decor, all the shades that you need, even Jason, the robot shades. Robot shades. They're the people to see. They are. It is, And it is coming up on that spring redecoration, spring cleaning, sort of refresh the household for the warm weather months. We are getting in that area. So when you are to look at your living room and you think it is time for a change and we're going to start with the window treatments, who, who are they going to call, Nick? Who are they going to call? You're going to call our friends at Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. They're right in downtown, the heart of our city. Tell them Jason Nick sent you. Jason, the Town Hall Podcast is also brought to the people by our friends at Ask Kathy of Keller Williams Realty. They are. Kathy is here to help you sell your home. You would have thought, or well, maybe I would have thought, that the real estate market was going to like, the brakes are going to get slammed on, but the brakes have not slammed on the real estate market yet. So it is a time to sell your home, if you're thinking about that, and it is a time that you're going to need help buying your next home. And these are the experts for you. Jason, look, if you go look at the reviews on Google and Facebook, more than 400 five-star reviews. It is absolutely true. 2022 is going to be their 20th anniversary. It is, is. Which is really weird. It is. Because Kathy can't, Not going be, to be. can't be any more than 22, 23 years old. That was my... I think she's 19. It, that, it actually started before she was born. They had to ask Kathy before she was born to sell realty. And so Kathy's out there. They've helped thousands of families. Their office is right in the heart of our city in downtown Lee Summit. And they are the people to help you take care of this extremely hot and very tight real estate market. And if you're buying, hey, they'll help you there too. So go tell our friends at Ask Kathy that you are ready to buy or sell a home. Tom Jason Nick Singer. Hello and welcome to the Lee Summit Town Hall podcast. I am Nick Parker and again with me, again, Jason Norberry. You're way better the second time through. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I thought we weren't going to tell people that I screwed up and didn't hit record. No, no, no. You're gonna if you're gonna like be all mean about me being on the podcast. I'm meaning right back to you. Well, this is gonna having to do that because you didn't hit record the first time. That meanness is gonna make this awkward. I want to celebrate. I want to say, hey, happy uh, fifth election cycle anniversary. It is five years <laughs> of us being mean to each other in the podcast. So there we go. Yes, this we are ready for the second, our part two of our candidate conversations for the Lee Summit R7 School District's Board of Education. We had the first three last week. We're going to have four of the total of eight candidates that will be on your ballot with us this evening. Um, we've got Dr. Joseph Yakaginski, Jennifer Foley, Heather Eslick, and Larry Anderson with us tonight. I'm going to bring him in, Jason, and we are going to get right to the questions. All righty. Well, welcome, everybody. Uh, we're glad to have you here, Dr. Joe, Heather, yes, sir. Hi, guys. Larry, and Jennifer. 
Um, we're gonna we're gonna run through all that. All right. So before we begin officially, we're gonna go through a couple of uh, of the housekeeping things so that the audience understands what we're dealing with here. Uh, there are four of you. We're gonna try to keep the podcast to a reasonable length um, to do the best we can with that anyway. And, and we're going to begin, um, as we have always done, the majority of our questions will be thematic, but different for each individual candidate. So that, and that'll relate to, to state that like stuff you put in the survey or made other statements or other things that you have as we go about that. So it'll be similar, but not entirely the same. The first question we'll have will be basically the same one for each of you. Um, but in the interest of time, we are asking you guys to kind of just hold that first answer to just a couple of minutes. Um, and then that way we can get into the more substantive stuff and do the follow-ups and the things that we like to do on the podcast. So that's our basic set of rules. Um, and I guess we'll start. So as I did last week, I'm going to start this in alphabetical order, and then we'll rotate the questions through as we go along. Um, so I, Larry, I'm sure that since your last name begins with A, you are used to going first in the line of, uh, of alphabetical stuff. So we're going to start with you, Larry. Um, our first question. Um, is that if you this is get, the tough one? This is the tough one. If you well, no, the last one is the tough one. Well, but we're not. We're, well, we're the not, last one is the one that matters. The last one's matters. All right. So if you, Larry, if you are elected, and when you get done, what do you want to be able to look back on at the end of your term and say that you accomplished when 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 it's all said and done three years from now? Well, I think the biggest thing would be to uh, ensure that the board is functioning in its highest, most efficient and effective manner. And that I had a major part or even a minor part on contributing to that. And so that we're able to look back and say, we had some hard decisions, we made some tough calls, but ultimately the board and the district are better because of our decisions that we made. And there are goals on the CSIP that are, are, are there for our, us to meet. And as we continue to meet those goals and develop new goals on the next uh, cycle, that we can look back and say, we have accomplished the goals on the CSIP. Wow, we didn't even need the whole two minutes there. That is I had amazing. a whole thing lined up where I was gonna signal. Well, no, that's all right. Well, I'm sure we'll get to use it as we go through. So we'll just move right along to the next uh, alphabetical person. And that is Heather Eslick. Heather. When, if you get elected, what do you want to say at the end of your term that you accomplished? Well, I will relate that question back to one of my top priorities um, that I have discussed uh, on my website and in my social media. And that for me is transparency. So if I relate it back to transparency, if I were to get elected and I look back on my time uh, on the board, success to me would mean that the people in the community felt that I delivered on that promise of transparency to the best extent of the law and what I'm allowed to do as a school board member, um, but that I did what I sought out to do, which was to improve that transparent relationship with the community, which I think right now, um, as I've talked about many times, I just feel like is struggling from a stakeholder perspective. And I would say largely with the parental community uh, there's that feeling of a lack of transparency. So for me, success would be Heather has delivered on her promises to um, be as transparent with the community as she can be. Awesome. I guess you didn't need the other two minutes for me either. Well, that's okay. <laughs> that time saved now is time we get to dig time into the other stuff as well. Right. So we're going to... 
or move on to Jennifer Foley. Jennifer, what do you want to look back on in three years if you are elected? So what I would like to look back on is um, the fact that I could increase um, trust and communication. Um, and within the district, there's been a lot of people that have um, expressed um mistrust or even hesitation just because sometimes they don't know how to communicate properly uh, within the district and kind of what's the way to express concerns or even what's the way to say thank you when they recognize something that they appreciate. Um, and so if I can just bring awareness and transparency into some of the systems that we already have in place and just improve them a little bit, I think that can go a long way in just rebuilding a lot of relationships and, and tensions within the district that have happened since the pandemic. All right. Well, thank you. I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I get to ask this question, Jason. Fine. I get to, I get to direct it now. Dr. Joe, we're going to give you the same question. If, if you are elected after your three-year term, what do you hope to accomplish? We have in the uh, Lee Summit School District a magnificent, I mean, just incomparable collection of teachers. And I, as a person, would want to focus my attention upon keeping these teachers here. Uh, teaching is a lot different than it was 10 years ago. Um, the contact situation, um, the uh, children uh, being looked upon uh, individually as they are. Um, the uh, teachers are really put under a lot of pressure and we need to enable to keep our teachers here and not uh, even just quitting the job entirely. Um, we need to have a release for them for this pressure. Our area here has a, a large group, five, five or six um, recreation centers, uh, Legacy Park being the one that I go to personally. And um, this, uh, this cost would be approximately less than $240 a year per teacher. Now for a teacher's salary, um, that, that's minimal. I mean, that's very small. And I think we could uh, arrange for a situation where the teachers would be given uh, passes, year round passes to these recreation centers to release the pressures and the uh, running around the track lifting weights, swimming, racquetball. There's just so many things you can do at these centers. And it takes, I know I, I taught for over 25 years. Uh, it takes the pressure off when you do a physical activity. And it allows you to go back into that classroom fresh, clean, with a new perspective. And uh, I think this would be a major uh, program that I would uh, be a proponent of. All right. Thank you, Dr. Joe. Appreciate that. You all came in under two minutes. Um, so therefore you all deserve a gold star uh, for that. And you're making my earlier joke uh, about long-winded politicians look false. And that's just, I, I feel like, see, once again, we try to look bad. So y'all look good. So well done. Well done to all of you. So we're going to move on um, and we're going to talk a little bit more, I think, about uh, the relationship with the board members and you guys specifically with the other board members and the superintendent. So like 
you know, we'll call this the, the dais relationship as we go through. And Heather, I'm going to start with you. Um, you noted in your answers that you feel like the board has become, and I'm going to use this quote here, uh, increasingly polarized and swayed by agendas. Um, you're one of seven votes on the board. And so obviously you, in your answer there, you are aware that there is, I, I think we can call it a diversity of opinion on uh, a lot of different topics on the board. What's your plan to work with the other board members and the superintendent, um, given this, what you're coming in with, that, 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 that we are increasingly politicized? Good question. Um, so I agree with you. Yes. And I recognize that there, you know, it, any one of us, if we get elected are just one vote of seven. Um, but I think the important thing that I want to highlight is that when people are voting for these candidates, whoever that might be, um, my goal in this whole campaign is just to be authentic with my values and who I am because I think people are just ready to have someone on the board, um, or they probably always have been, but um, at least today, to know exactly where someone stands in their values so that they um, they know what they're gonna get, I suppose, is the best way to say that. So I don't have any grandiose plans of getting on this board and you know, digging my heels into anything and uh, expecting to just change the world. I just want to represent the values that some of the community members maybe feel like aren't being represented or the voices that aren't being represented right now so that maybe they feel like someone is at least going to be speaking for them. Um, and I'm sure, you know, with only two minutes, we're not really going to talk. Oh, about no, we're not. This, this one doesn't hold. Might cover. No, no, that this actually this one we, we don't do is we're not as tight to the two minutes. So, but oh, OK, OK, you're good. OK, great. Well, so um, I guess we could we could very briefly touch on like COVID, for example, has been a huge hot button topic. And I don't want to dig too much into all the details on that. But I think there have just been a lot of parents that have felt like the things that they've said about their children's experiences, whether it's with regard to mask wearing or the exclusion policies and how that's impacted their families have seemingly in many ways fallen on what a lot of parents feel are deaf ears. Um, so I think they're just ready to have someone who is going to hear them truly and fight for them. And I know the last couple of board meetings, we've seen some board members stand up and have, have that opinion and actually kind of put forth, um, you know, so, something that is supportive of some of the parents that have been pretty vocal about their experiences thus, thus far with their students. Um, so that's just one example, but I think there are, I'll use one more, just since you said we have more than two minutes. So with regard to the books, for example, that a lot of parents have brought up and been upset that they're on the shelves. So I'm a huge proponent of protecting the First Amendment. I would never say we should censor or withdraw any books, but I think it's valid to also validate then the parents who have concerns about maybe just knowing what their kids are reading, if this is something that really bothers them and really rubs up against their values. Um, I think that's also valid. And if there were just a way that the board could then maybe compromise a little bit and acknowledge, okay, these parents are concerned and I understand why. So, what can we do to try to help them feel more comfortable and also protect the first amendment and free speech and because i just think that whole thing is a slippery slope you know what i mean you know you censor a book and then who gets to decide what stays on the shelf 
Um, but I, again, think that if the board maybe felt like somebody saw it a little bit from their perspective, then potentially there wouldn't be so much tension and there would just be, you know, some diversity of thought, since you brought that up, on how to kind of approach assuaging some of those concerns for parents. Okay. So do you feel like then the board has been dismissive of one viewpoint? I mean, I don't think that there's been any secret that they're taking COVID protocols as like, once again, staying on the surface, we don't have to get into the, the details there, but like the, <clears throat> there's a lot of disagreement and, and I think strongly felt disagreement about what are the right ones and, and what are the, how are people making the decisions and all those sorts of things are, are you at a certain point though people are going to begin to confuse or i think and we we've mentioned this before i think on the podcast and in other interviews but like confused that the the outcome is diff different than the process so how do you so let's let's take for instance you know you got there uh you're elected and there's a new COVID protocol that need, that is being discussed and you give forth you but you find yourself on the side that doesn't win and whatever that whatever that topic may be, how do you then like people are still mad because, you know, X happened. Um, how do you manage to deal that to deal with people or even the board or yourself, perhaps dealing with that differentiation between what the process looks like and, and the, the outcome that may come about. So I think in that situation, I feel like it would just be important as a board member if I felt a certain way that maybe was not in the same way as the majority to still be vocal and facing the community with bringing those concerns to light. For example, in a board meeting, if I was maybe the one dissenting vote, still being able to speak out and say, you know, these are the things um, that I really disagree with and I have trouble agreeing with the group on and because of X, Y, Z, this is my reason for no. Um, I'm sure there's a great amount of dialogue that happens in work sessions as well, and maybe even outside of those environments where the board is having these conversations and debating. And I think it's important for the community to see in a board meeting that there is someone who is considering their thoughts and considering their feelings and how they're, they're visualizing this situation and how they're approaching this problem, even if the vote is against what that opinion has been expressed. Um, so I guess that's how, how I would handle that and how I would feel like I can only control so much. So for me, I'm going to, you know, say what needs to be said and I would vote the way I feel is the correct way um, for, for me, for the people who have elected me to this position and the people I'm trying to represent on the board. Beyond that, I cannot control other people. I can try to insert my, my thoughts, um, try to maybe come to some middle ground with people who disagree. But at the end of the day, again, only one vote. So we just represent what we can to the community and be as forward about that as possible. And we work together as a board after that to deal with it as a group, because once the decision is made, we have to move forward and live with it as a, as a group of people who are um, elected to that responsibility. Okay. Jennifer Foley, I'm going to move on to you a little bit. And this is a similar theme, I think, about, about communication. Um, last week, I think it was last week on, on your, uh, your campaign's Facebook page, you wrote about re-injecting kindness into relationships with people, especially people with maybe varying viewpoints. Again, that's kind of, the, I, I think we can all say there's 
that's a big area for for right now in public conversation. So, but but my question to you is: Is this a problem that you're seeing now? Is it a, is it a problem that's that's affecting the board and the district's process of governance? Is that something you're seeing now? Um, actually, with within the board itself, I would say that you don't you don't really see that. Um, I would say that the board. The current board does a good job of how they communicate publicly, you know, in, in that regard. Um, but what I'm seeing is the the constituents that are looking for candidates to to vote to to vote for the the people that they want to put in those positions. Um, they are they're coming at us and they are expecting us to use divisive language to stand strong on on our opinions and values um and and sometimes they want us to come out swinging in a way that i personally just don't agree with um because i do recognize that we have to have a level of decorum and when you work with a board you are gonna you're gonna work with people from all different perspectives you're gonna come together to make a decision together you are voting on a process together. And so we can't go in there and just because we have a certain viewpoint, we're going to come in there like a bull in a china shop and say, hey, this is my way or the highway. And if you don't agree with me, you know, that that's not how it works. Um, and, and so it's just, um, it's kind of one of those things, like, I just want to bring people together and talk about, you know, there's so many things that we can really rally around together that we can find commonality about. Um, and if you dig down to basically so many of these topics, um, they come down to, you know, questions about transparency, communication, collaboration. And, and when you really drill down to the heart of the issue, there's so many things that all of us can agree on. All of us can agree that we can focus on academics and improving uh, the gap that has been created from the pandemic. All of us can agree that we need to support our teachers. We know we need to get them as much help as possible, that this has been a hard season for them in dealing with all the results of the pandemic. I'm going to, I'm going to jump in, uh, jump in. And I think because a lot of those divisive and fiery topics that you're talking about, right. Mm -hmm. Aren't necessarily about academics or supporting teachers or all of the platitudes that, that we all love when we're running for office. Right. Yeah. But this is a similar question to what to what Jason asked Heather here. How can you as a board member, as a representative of the people to the school district, mm -hmm. how can you relate to them that whole that about process that that necessarily them being heard doesn't always mean the result is going to be what they want? How can how can you do that so that there is, people can feel like they've still communicated with they have been heard and the result just may not be what they want? Sure. Um, so I think just validating people and listening to them is huge. Um, giving them as many opportunities as possible to express their concerns um, really goes a long way. Um, so that is one of the reasons why um, I posted recently about kind of the, the pathways. Um, if you want to escalate a concern or even gratitude, you know, the steps that you take when you go beyond the principal, going to an assistant superintendent of elementary or secondary. Sometimes people just need to know the next step in the process if they want to escalate things. Um, and so, you know, I encourage transparency in that so people can be heard as much as possible. Um, but also, you know, it is one of those things that when you're when you're part of a board, you are one person out of seven. And so there's many times that you might not vote 
with the majority, but you still have to stand behind the decision of the board. Um, and so when you are in the voting process, when you're in the meeting, you can explain your point of view, just um, just like the, the most recent meeting about uh, whether or not to extend the mask mandates. You know, there was there was two people that voted against it. Um, and so they stated clearly their reasons why they did not want to extend it. But when all was said and done, since the overall consensus was they were going to extend the mandate, then that is the decision of the board. And that is what they went with. Jennifer, thank you. Um, for that answer. Dr. Joe, we're going to, or yeah, Dr. Joe, we're going to move to you. Uh, in your survey answers, you listed uh, public perception of the district, and I think mostly the district in this is one of your top priorities. What is, your, you know, you're coming into this, what is that, how do you define or what do you think that perception is right now um, as we, as we're going into this, this process? Well, I think right now, the public perception of the board is a far off, unapproachable group. And I would like to alter that. I would like to be able to have people feel free, uh, feel ready to come to me with their problems and, and be assured that I would present them in a manner to the board. I, I would like more of a uh, communal situation between the public and the board. I think it's uh, been very separated. Um, I, I am encouraging people to come if I am elected to me and speak with me about things that are of concern to them in, in the education process. Uh, that's the best way to do it. Um, you are really, as a board member, given the opportunity to represent so many people. And, and if the people don't feel free and ready to come to you, it's not gonna happen. So Dr. Joe, let me let me follow in on that uh, as well. So are you saying that the current board isn't doing that? Or no, are you saying something I'm different? not saying that. What I'm saying is, is that I want the people to feel like we are working for them, that we are there for them. Okay. I don't know if all the people in uh, Lee Summit feel that way. All right. So assuming then if your your perception is that people don't all feel that way, what is it that you think you can do specifically that will enhance that perception in the public? Well, this right here, this meeting right here is the beginning, uh, letting them know uh, that I am open to them. I am ready to act upon uh, their thoughts, uh, their concerns to discuss with them. Um I, I can't think much more uh, of what I could do uh, because we don't have a large uh, audience of people that I could announce this to. But I, I think you're you're underestimating the ones of people that we know. Actually, I, I hope I hope so. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Joe. Thank you, sir. Larry Anderson, I'm going to move over to you now. You spoke um, in your responses to our survey. You said that the, the board needs to do a better job of finding the balance of monitoring and promoting student achievement while not inhibiting the learning process. Your responses really, to me, felt like what you were saying was the board needs to take more of a 30,000-foot view of things and not be so hands-on. So my question is, right now, as outside looking in, you're not on the board yet if you know, you're not elected, do you view the board as being too hands-on and not taking a high enough view of things? Am I reading your answers correctly there? 
Well, actually, I think Nick, you, you're, you, I need to clarify that. My, my point is, is that board members need to go from an overseer uh, relationship, which was a couple of decades ago, to the co-leadership relationship, and that creates a lot of uh, that creates a lot of stress and difficulty because we are trying to monitor and promote student achievement while not inhibiting learning. You see, so so that that's what that's what the point of that question was. So now we're getting at the thirty thousand view here as. How do we do our job as a school board member? And I think it's important to remember that uh, in, com in communication and transparency, you know, we've got two things going on here. We've, we understand that collaboration is important with the uh, superintendent, but, but as board members, we've got two masters. We've got the, the technical world of, of uh, working with the superintendent on the, on the uh, district functions and operations, but we also have a responsibility to the community. So um, when, we, when we want to, to determine that plateau where we kind of meet and say, this is the threshold we don't go across, we have to keep those two things in mind. So when we are, when, when we are trying to understand what is the right path, we are bringing the community into the situation and our relationship with that community needs to be expressed, but we've got to look at the common theme is how is the concern of the community benefiting education and the achievement of children? You use the word co-leader in that. And I and I think that's interesting. It makes me and it makes me pause a little bit because I wonder where the kind of the line is and how you see the role if you're if you're co-leading and monitoring student achievement, promoting student achievement, but you also talked about bringing in the voices of your constituents. So, so what exactly, I guess, is, is your role as the board member? How do you define that in that process of co-leadership? You know, Nick, that there, there is not a, a defined line. Well, well let me sit back. Co-leadership is, uh, in my mind, it's self, it's, we got two leaders here trying to run the ship. Okay. And so, there are strengths and weaknesses on each one. Okay, so we've established that. The, the superintendent obviously knows how to run the district and his employees, and we are more in tune to what the community has to say and what their concerns are. So somehow we bring those two things together and we try to develop a path forward with the concerns of the community, identifying the challenges that are coming up, and then relaying this over to the superintendent and working out a path forward so that we can strive to meet those challenges and, and not be surprised by them. So the, now I think what I was getting at is where is the line when you cross over into what into the superintendent's line of work or is it the board of education's line of work? And that's not a definite line. And that's what's so unique about education in the United States. And we are trying to incorporate the public as a part of the communities, as a part of the education process. And that is a, that is a moving thing that, that is not defined. It's very easy to say, well, we should, let, we should just let the experts make the education decisions, but that's not acceptable to the community. And we certainly can't default to the community because they don't have the expertise. So we have to merge those two together. And that comes down to leadership. That comes down to making sure that we have the right people on the board 
They can pull, bring those two things together. And it takes experience on the boards have. It takes training, you know, and we, we have to understand that the superintendent needs the support of the board to go out and do what the board wants accomplished. And the board can't keep waffling back and forth. We got to, we got to keep our eye on the goal here. But at the same time, the board has to be accountable to the community and understand their concerns and be able to bring that to the superintendent and they are able to identify a path forward. So I know, I know we wish we had the perfect line of crossing over and stuff, but that's the dynamics of the systems that we have. And that's where we call into having professionals do their jobs and understand how to work together and collaborate, you know, and also we have the community making sure we have the right people from the community representing them who are able to collaborate and and work towards the ultimate goal is what are we doing and is it promoting achievement for the students? So, so I wish I had the, a definite answer, but truly from from my experience, it's an ebb and flow. Nick, we're going to move on now to questions. Um, a question that has more to do with teachers. Like every school board candidate for all of the years that we have been doing this and probably for every year in the history of school board elections has said, we support the teachers. And that is great because it'd be weird if you didn't. And my but, wife would be angry. And and it would make Nick's wife very mad, who is a teacher, and we don't want to do that um, in the overall scheme of things. So, but that's the thing. And however, that the rubber has to meet the road somewhere. Um, and, and we we're, so we're going to kind of dig into that relationship a little bit. And Jennifer, we're going to start with you, uh, this one, you suggested in your answers that we should do a review of salaries and compensation for possible increases, as well as call for, uh, I believe you said additional resources to improve. So, you know, that if possible leaves a lot of, or possible leaves a lot of gray area in there. So what's the standard that you want to use to determine what I'm sorry, I got a little feedback right as you were finishing that question. I said, so what's, uh, so when you're making those decisions, you said it's like, what is possible in there? What is your standard for what is possible? Uh, well, I think the standard would be uh, to look at what other states are doing I mean, we can we can kind of use that as a benchmark to kind of figure out what is appropriate and look at other states that have examples or even within Missouri, other cities that might be setting um, a good uh, record as far as kind of where where the salary sits. And, you know, looking at patient, patient sorry, I work in healthcare, um, teacher satisfaction and things like that. Um, so. I apologize. That's that's kind of a difficult question to answer. All right, well, um, I'll, I tell you what, I will I will rephrase it more specifically. Sure. Um, none of that stuff is free. Um, and right. so to me, when I read your question, I will say this is when I read your question. I think you were looking at it. I thought you were looking at it from a budgetary standpoint. Yes. So what, how are you going to examine budgetarily what's possible? Where are you where are you thinking that you may be? ways to get more revenue or move costs or what is it? What is it that you're looking at for that? Your Gosh. answer cannot be bake sales. <laughs> no, I think, I think there are, um, there are a lot of different avenues just within our current budget that we can examine um, looking at, you know, how much is paid to administration administrative staff or how much is spent on supplies, you know, could we make better purchasing decisions? 
um, could we be better utilizing like the the supply warehouse instead of purchasing from outside vendors? Um, do we need to be paying for expensive consultants um, for some programs when we might have teachers within the district that can provide that expertise for a lower cost? Um, so I feel like there's there are um, a lot of ways that we can look at saving money within the budget. Um, but I would say that that's not exactly the role of the board. Um, that is something that the CFO and the superintendent should be working on. So the board can say, you know, hey, this is something we would like to do. We want to save money over here because we want to provide more, you know, salary for the teachers and we can ask them to work on it and then we can make the, the approval basically. Um, so it's, it's not up to the board to, to dig through the budget line by line necessarily and say, ah, uh, you shouldn't have spent $2 and 50 cents on a pencil when you can get it for 25 cents. Um, we, we leave that to the experts that are, that are in that area, but you can provide that general direction to them and say, Hey, this is what we want to do overall. This is our goal. We want to spend less here. We want to spend more here. Okay. Um, so one of the, uh, I think talking about that, you know, you, you I think you raised the point very quickly with the you're not going to make the difference in teacher salaries by saving a quarter per pencil um, or whatever the number might be. So some of those numbers that, you know, we've we've talked to board members of administration, uh, we're looking at, you know, a four million dollar shortfall on transportation costs. Um you know, we're, they've just built a new building. There's going to be a lot of staffing and change and things and a lot of costs that come on in the millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a thing. One of the things the board can do um, is if necessary, or if that's what you guys want, if the board decides to do is to ask the public to pay an additional levy or, or you know, that sort of thing to, to increase funds to use to pay teachers or whatever purposes that the board decides. Is a levy increase something that you are categorically for, categorically against, or perhaps conditionally in favor or against? Um, I would say that it's it's conditional for me. Um, I would want to have all of the information provided and to know, you know, that, that the district did everything within their means um, to try to find those funds first within the budget that we have before we seek, you know, going outside. Um, and sometimes some of that information is stuff that you're only privy to when you're on the board. So I wouldn't say one way or the other without having the full information in front of me. Very well. Dr. Joe, we're going to go to you now. And yes, sir. I'm going to, I'm going to bring up kind of your, some stuff from, from your survey responses. And I think you, I think you hinted to this early on in, in, in this conversation tonight. Um, you mentioned specifically, and I, and I quote, economically enhanced agenda. So tell me some specific items that you're advocating for as far as, as giving some enhancements to the teachers. I, I did mention it, and I think it's worth repeating, to be honest with you. Um, the teacher's life today is a constant stress situation. Uh, you're in a situation where you're surrounded by students. Um, you have to be knowledgeable of them looking at you virtually every second. You are a model for them, a teacher. And uh, in order to maintain the, the model situation, you need to be able to release that stress on an outward fashion. Uh, the outward fashion I propose is one of the uh, recreation centers in our just fabulous recreation centers at least Summit has. Legacy Park is like a jewel. Uh, I mean, people, <laughs> see, I lived in New York City for 10 years. 
And uh, something like that does not exist there. It just can't. There's not enough room. Um, people, uh, teachers, men and women, can go to that center. Uh, they can walk, a, run around the track, walk around the track. Various wonderful machines. I myself am a uh, bicyclist. I have uh, bicycle, bicycled uh, over 5,000 miles in the last three years. And it's uh, something that I, as I do, I can just read. Re I read books while I'm bicycling. And it's uh, a beautiful activity. Uh, it's kept me in wonderful physical shape. Uh, for my 68 years, uh, I, I just feel wonderful every morning when I wake up. I'm blessed. I truly am blessed health-wise. And I think that part of this is because I uh, maintain my physical health. And I think the teachers, with the stress that they receive each and every day, uh, they can go right down to the uh, gym or uh, Legacy Park. There are five other places around the city. And uh, release that stress and tension and go back the next day into the classroom fresh and ready to go. I'm going to, I'm going to follow it up with one of my favorite questions because Jason and I like to get nerdy and we like to talk about process and procedures and things. You're on the board, you get elected, you have this great idea. How are you going to find a way to pay for it? Well, the nice thing about that is uh, what do you, what do you feel the uh, average teacher salary is uh, today? 20,000, 30,000, 40,000. Well, minimum 50, minimum in Missouri is at 33, I believe. 33? Wonderful. And Lee Wonderful. Summits is a little higher than that uh, state in terms of okay. where I believe, I believe we come in. Uh, please, if I'm wrong, people don't get mad at me, but I believe I will we come send in you averaging emails. at 38. Okay, 38. Is between 38 and 42, I believe, but I could be wrong. I, I'm, I'm talking 42. There, Heather, Heather knew. So Heather knew. She, Somebody did their research. I am talking. Look, I'm married to a teacher. I, I, I'm conditioned to always say not enough. I, I am talking less than 1% of an increase on that salary. $240 per year. It's incredible the benefits you can receive from that. I rest my case. Okay. Well, we're, thank you for that. We're going to move on. Larry, I hope you're ready. In your survey answers, um, you've refer, referred multiple times to providing more support and resources to teachers as well as needing to adjust their compensation. That's a lot of staffing. And so I'm going to give you basically the same question. This is, a, this is I think everybody wants to increase it. How, how can you as a board member, work with the district to try to find the funding to make that happen so that it's not just a candidate saying they want to increase pay. Well, I'm glad you asked that, Nick. You know, getting back to what I was saying earlier about uh, communication and transparency and the role of the school board, and it has two masters, and one is the community and the other is board governance and and working with the district and the district's technical processes for doing their work, we have to be able to show to the public that the board members are truly engaged in their work and truly contemplating and, and working to accomplish the mission, which is achievement for students. And what happens when the, when the public sees us working and there's actual engagement by the members they begin to get a confidence that the board 
is interested in what the outcomes are. They know what they're doing and they're showing success. And as that success rolls, then you find out that there is less, uh, less noise from the community. So in order to go down the road of teachers, we know that if, you know, you know, we can do support things and making sure that whatever programs are put in are fully uh, provided for as far as resources and staffing and funding. But that's not going to be it. One of these days, just like what's going on in the rest of the country, we're going to have to raise the salaries. So now we need to fall back on that relationship and that dedication that we showed and the ability to gain the confidence of the community and start reaching out to the community and saying, look, here's the situation. We need to pull people into work groups. We need to pull the community in. We need to ask the questions to the community and they need to be a part of the answer. They need to see the problem. They need to be a part of the solution and they need to be able to trust the board members that we are going to focus on achievement. And we also know that achieve, that the teacher's salary and quality teachers is a big part of that achievement. So we have a tough decision here. We need to be able to make a decision and it may very well be mean, you know, a levy increase or not. But as, a, as involving the community and letting them be a part of this, then there is transparency. There is trust in what the board is saying. And when we say we need to make these advances for the teachers and we need to do it to the benefit of the academics of the students, the public says, yes, we're okay with that and go forward and do that. Then we've accomplished our mission and that is providing for the education of our students. And that's the number one priority and we have buy-in from the community. Gotcha. All right. Well, thank you, Larry. I appreciate that answer. Uh, Heather, we're going to move to you. Um, um, we're having some technical issues, but you and I are still on this at this moment, so it'll be fun. So, Heather, I want to I want to just start this with the question that we've kind of been posing for everybody here um, about the uh, about uh, the possibility of a levy. So, what is it that you would want to see before you would give a firm answer on whether you think a levy is appropriate? Let's let's try that question. So, for me, what I would expect to see before we go to that sort of recommendation is I would love to see a budgetary review committee that includes members of our school district administration and also community business leaders. Um, and the reason for that is there's a lot of smart business people out there who understand how to manage money. They understand where to go to, to look for money that we can potentially save or reduce costs. And I think it would be a great idea to involve some of those smart people, smart business people in these decisions that impact directly the community within which that they live. Um, but also, of course, within that committee, including members of the educational establishment that is impacted by those budgetary decisions. So that if those business leaders maybe have questions about, well, what is this business? What is this line of the budget? What does it go to? Um, is there a way we could trim it down, put it out for bid again for a reduced contract price, renegotiate all of those questions so that you have not just somebody who's siloed outside of the organization making decisions about what to cut out of the budget, because that also doesn't make sense. Um, so for me, um, before I would jump to let's just increase taxes, let's look at what we have and see uh, what we can do with the money we've got. And can we reallocate, juggle things around, et cetera? Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask real quick before before Jason moves moves to his next thing on that. That brings a lot of people into the process. 
uh, the way you way you just described things. Well, how many would be? Well, I mean, I never well, said a number. Well, <laughs> no, but <laughs> I I wrote I wrote down. Well, you just got burned right there, Nick. Yeah. Four hundred twenty-five. I mean, I never you made said that. Number. Okay, so let no, me but just... but my, my 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 question really is this, and it's it's a hypothetical. Whatever number it, it is, it's bringing more into the process. Where is um where is your your line there? Who? Where does the decision finally fall in the process? Because you're taking well, a lot of input from a lot of different people. Let's kind of start with how do you how do you get the right people involved? Um, we already have community engagement platforms within the district where you have to apply to be part of that group. So why can't you use that same process to say, okay, if we want to have a panel of, let's say, eight people, maybe that's too many, maybe five. I don't know. Um, but pick a number and the board could decide on what that number should be. Um, and then there's an application process. Current business leaders or people of the community could apply. They want to be part of it. They want to be part of that conversation. And then either the board or the board plus some admin or, you know, I mean, it makes sense to have somebody in operations, somebody over the finance, uh, the superintendent and the board be part of a decision-making process to decide who gets to have a voice in this conversation. But I think it would be... Um, I don't want to say irresponsible, but we have resources out there of a bunch of smart people who understand how to run businesses and are good with their finances. So why not elicit some of that support to help scrub a $250 million budget? Um, that's that's a lot of money. And you do have seven people on this board who may not all have business management experience. In fact, we tend to lean a lot towards people who have educational establishment experience, um, less so than people who are business minded. So let's leverage the business-minded people who may not be sitting on the board. Okay. All right. So I, I thank you for that. I was honestly, I meant for that to be not a throwaway answer for you, but you, you, uh, you, you gave more than I had anticipated. Your answer on the questions that we asked about teacher retention had a little bit different focus than most of the rest of the surveys. You focused a little bit on, in fact, you mentioned twice in your, um, in your survey answers, uh, you referred to the the termination and appeal process of the teacher most recently uh, in the in the student disciplinary process, uh, and I think you were you were critical of the or you seemed critical of the way that that was done. What in the process do you think was flawed, and and how do you how do you advocate fixing or what do you think to do to fix that? I would say just from the, uh, so let's just clarify for maybe people who don't know what we're talking about. We were talking about Joe Oswald. Am I correct? correct. Well, you okay. didn't use just, the word, you didn't use that name in your survey I answer, didn't. so I was You're being You're right, nice. but I just want to make sure that we're transparent with the community and what we're talking about. Yes, we are talking about You and I know it's implied, but we'll just go ahead and talk about it. Um, I thought that that process was to me. Now, I was not nearly as digging my heels into school board policy and process as I am now back then. So as a constituent, as a community member, that process seemed very knee jerk to me based off of what was going on in the world as a whole, as it comes to relations of race and uh, racial slurs and how those, um, how those issues are handled in not just public education, but I mean, essentially any time that something like that is, is used. Um, and I thought that rather than looking at the situation as, hey, we have a problem with how we've trained our teachers with the direction that we've given them as a district, to me, it looked like we just 
kind of hung this teacher out to dry um, instead of taking some ownership as a district and saying, hey, you know what? There was a flawed process. We really should have taken a step back and given more direction to our teachers and maybe said, instead of saying X word, you have the student read it or you say word with the letter instead of the whole word. You use some implications and some good judgment. And this teacher was just following to the letter of the rules that he was given by the district. So to me, again, I just thought that the district could have done a better, better job of taking some ownership of the process that they had established instead of just throwing this teacher to the wolves. And it doesn't set a good precedent to the rest of the teachers who then need to hold their students accountable to behavior issues and to your admin who need to hold students accountable to behavior issues when we've made it very clear as a district that you're not gonna, the outcome is not going to be positive for the teacher. Um, if there's an issue, the district doesn't appear that they will back the, the teacher. That's what I'd like to say. That's what's the perception that I got from that as a community member. And well, I think okay, so we, let, we owe it better. I guess I'll, I'll follow that is if there obviously are lines across which, and I think that was what Dr. Buck was trying to make clear, at least in the public pronouncements that we've seen is that there, that word is, is the bright line across which you shall not go. 100%. Um, and, but I guess specifically now is like you're, you're, you're taking in terms of, so there, there is, as a result of all this, there is an internal review of the policy. How would you like the policy to be different? Well, I definitely think the district should be ex explicitly clear if they haven't been already that you don't say that word. You just don't say racial slurs. I, I agree in premise with the fact that he said something that he shouldn't have said. I agree with that. Um, it's not a word it, that is in my vocabulary. It's not a word that I ever like to hear anyone say, and I don't care what what race you are. I just don't I don't like hearing racial slurs of any kind. So for for the district, um, I would like to see a policy that is just explicit on how you handle racial slurs. So if the policy is the teacher doesn't say it, fine. Does the student read it? Whatever the I mean, that's a nuts and bolts thing that again, as some other people on this panel have alluded to, that's kind of a, that's a ground level view um, that might take some input from administrators on how exactly that needs to be dealt with. But I definitely think as a district, there needs to be more clarity on what the teachers are expected to do so that they know what they're allowed to do and what they're going to get in trouble for so that they can resume or feel confident that they can discipline a student um, and that the district will have their back because they're following the process. All right. I want to I want to go a little more and I'm going to open I'm going to open this up and well, I'm going to go to Larry Anderson first actually. But I want to open this up to 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 everyone on this because I think that that phrase transparency that word has come out a lot in the conversation here tonight. So well, Heather, you don't have to get angry and break your chair. This isn't I'm WWE. Sorry. I turned something over. It was an accident. <laughs> So, I, I, Heather, you brought that up as an example. So, Larry, I want, I want to start with you. But is there, is there another example where transparency hasn't happened? Has there been, can you point to a breakdown in process that maybe you want to try to affect change? I think, uh, I think that one, that 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 particular situation is a perfect example of what you were just talking about, and transparency. And, and trying to affect change. You know, I want to, 
when we when we talk about the situation that happened to this to this instructor, this coach, and we we look at it from well, our code, our I mean, our policy wasn't clear, and and he and he should have had a better policy, and and he would have known what not to do. But let's look at it from a different point of view, and 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 I'm getting back to transparency and clarity. Is what if that particular teacher knew before that situation happened that that word was not appropriate? So if he would have been received the training and that is being produced right now for all the teachers to see things in a different way, to look at things in a different light, and to understand from another person's point of view what that word means, if he would have received that training and understanding before this situation would have happened, the policy didn't matter. He would have known this is not appropriate. I would have known this is not appropriate. And so we would not be talking about, oh, the policy's wrong, we need to change the policy. What we're talking about is the training to understand what inclusive means and what that, how that impacts our teaching and our education. So to be transparent is to make sure that we understand everybody's point of view, we're able to be inclusive, we're able to understand why we're going down this road and why we're, the teachers are getting this training for equity so that we know when we are doing something wrong, we know not to do it before we do it. So. That's kind of my thinking on the transparency and the policies that are out there and the decisions that are made. Jennifer, I want to throw the same kind of a similar question uh, uh, your way, and, and it doesn't have to be this, but but I, I I hear transparency thrown out a lot. And so what I'm looking for, and, and all fairness to, to, to Mr. Anderson there on your response, because policy is what you do on the board. That's one of your biggest jobs is to talk about policies, to set policies, to review policies, as is now happening, right, after after the incident that Heather brought up. So is there another example maybe that you can give of where the district, the board, either or both, have not been transparent with the constituents? Is there a breakdown sure. somewhere that, that that comes to mind for you? Yeah. Um, so when I announced that I was running for a seat on the board, um, I had parents that reached out to me with all kinds of complaints and grievances. Um, one of them, I even shared their story um, at, the, at a, a recent school board meeting uh, because their child had skipped school for more than 30 days and they had never received a phone call from the school that their child had been absent. Um, and so there's, there's a whole lot of breakdowns that happened in the story and, and a whole lot of things that, you know, we can look at to correct. Um, but one of the biggest things um, is that this parent went to the principal and was like this uh, assistant principal, sorry, and said, this is not OK. And that's where it ended. She never got any kind of a resolution to the problem because she didn't know where to turn to next. And if you go on the LSR7 website and you search for the word grievance or you search for the word complaint, you won't find an answer. So there's been problems when parents have encountered issues and they just don't know where to turn. And I would say that is a huge lack of transparency. The only place that I could find that actually addresses what to do if a parent has a grievance is in the board documents for a school board member. 
And that even says, you know, if a parent comes to you with a complaint, you send them to the principal or a designee. Well, how many parents know who the designee is? So there are issues like that that I think can just easily be fixed with a little bit of transparency and clarity. Um, another example that I could bring up is that there was a, a bunch of fights, at least some at North in December. And, you know, with the, you know, increased usage of Snapchat, you know, students are constantly texting each other videos and sending videos to their parents um, that there was multiple fights in one day. And at the end of the day, the school said nothing about it. They talked about the fact that the very next day there was going to be a TikTok challenge um, that was potentially going to bring violence to the school. Um, and so when parents see that stuff, like they feel concerned that they know there was fights in the school. They received videos from their students. They received phone calls from their students saying, hey, mom, come pick me up. I don't feel safe. But then the message that comes from the district is, oh, today was just a normal day. And I know that's that's kind of a, a, a harsh example, and that does not happen all the time. But when those things happen, those things stick in people's minds, and so those. Well, are the I, what, I guess what I want what I want to get to there is sure. you're elected to the board. Yeah. How do you fix those problems? How can how can you, as a newly elected board member, mm -hmm. make some changes there? Oh, I would ask the superintendent right away to have a clear process for communication pathways. Um, so there should be something on the LSR7 website that guides parents step-by-step step what to do when they encounter a problem. Or also not just problems, but what if they want to express gratitude? How many times have you had a phenomenal teacher and you want to tell someone about it? You want to say, you know what, this person is phenomenal. Where do you share that news? So I think just having a clear pathway would, would be a huge step in that. Um, and then as far as the, the safety concerns, though, that, that the superintendent would have to address, address with the public relations director. Um, but that's something, I mean, you can't put the words in the mouth and you can't tell them what to say, but you can say, you know what, as a board, we want our district to have the trust of the parents and we want to make sure that we have clear communication. And then from there, it's on them. All right. So, Dr. Joe, we're going to um, come to you with this question about transparency. What are things that you uh, see? You could be good or bad here um, that we that as a board member that you can do to improve the uh, the transparency and the trust between the board and the community. Well, I, I'm just appalled by what uh, I've just heard. Um, my my student uh, was absent from one class period in a whole semester and I received notification of it. They called me and told me about it and asked me to return the call an email. Also. Um, I, I don't know how you can go from one period to 30 days. <laughs> I mean, it's just inconceivable to me. Uh, transparency is a way you live. Uh, I believe I live a transparent life. And that's as a result of the fact that I've changed so since I was younger. Um, I'm grateful for these changes. Uh, a lot of people uh, would uh, say, Hey, Mom, uh, it's the wash water. <laughs> Emmy, I'm on the uh, thing here, hon. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> Sorry, guys. That's my little Emily Joy. Um, I had Emily Joy when I was 52 years old. And uh, she's the joy of my life. Um, transparency is a way of life. And if you live a transparent life, 
uh, everything is, is, is brought to the surface, um, just the way uh, a school board member would have it. Uh, things would be brought to the surface and discussed, and the proper uh, solution would be achieved in that manner. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Joe. And before I get to my, my final set of questions, the most important set of questions for anyone who wants to vote in this election. I'm or really say, make any decision. Well, yeah, any decision. We've asked this question of candidates for five years now. I'm changing it up a little bit in 2022. I'm going to get a little more specific. I want to make this harder on people. I'm going to start with you, Dr. Joe. If you're going to represent the people of Lee Summit as a member of the Board of Education, you need to be able to answer this one question, and I will be judging you. Where is the best taco in town? The best taco in town is uh, Taco Bell. They have the greatest selection. Uh, they have the uh, ability to change your mind uh, from one taco to the next. Joe, I would say this. You know what? I would say this. You just showed a level of courage I have never seen in 27 years of covering various elections around this country. Bless you. That is a level of courage I have not seen. I've said a lot of really, I've had a lot of strong takes on this podcast over the last five years or so. And that may be the strongest take we've ever had on this podcast, Dr. (laughs) Joe. So thank you. Thank you for that. You guys are great. Larry, Larry Anderson, the pressure is now on you. Where's the best taco in town? So I enjoy being married, and I enjoy having a happy marriage. And my wife's going to listen to this, and she's a teacher, <laughs> and she has Spanish blood. And you know about Spanish blood is it can get, get pretty hot sometimes. The best taco I've ever had is in the next room in the kitchen of my own house. <laughs> Fair marriage preservation. Enough. Marriage preservation is an important stance. To take. We, we went from we went from courage to self-preservation. The important follow-up is does she do uh does she do to-go orders? Because that if they're that good, right. Nick yeah. and I may need to swing by the Anderson household to get tacos. Heather Absolutely. Eslick, we now shine the spotlight into your eyeballs. Okay. Well, so much like Larry, um, except my husband uh, is an amazing chef. So um, I also enjoy being married and I also enjoy that he cooks for me. So I am definitely going to say that the best taco in town is my husband's because he uh, is amazing and no two are alike and he always reinvents the wheel. So everything he cooks is amazing, including the most basic of meals, the taco. Tacos are like a box of chocolate in their house. You just never know what you're going to get. You really do. He fries them. He will put. I hope they're not actually like a box of chocolates because that'd be a weird taco. That would be strange. (laughs) True. Jennifer Foley, you get the final word. You you are allowed to pick a restaurant. I want to say this. I'm totally going to. (laughs) Okay, good. Good on you. So I've got two. Taco Holics in downtown Lee Summit is pretty phenomenal. And then also uh, Taco El Mercadito on uh, 291. They are pretty By the way, I have a classic and authentic and I mean how often can you have a taco in a grocery store? Yep. Well, I'm we're, I'm going to I'm going to say this. I work in KCK every day is the answer to that question, <laughs> but she is correct by the way. All of the rest of you, you had good reasons by for By the way, I'm going to say 
and, but, and I will say this, and I'm even going to go with this on the Taco Bell. All those tacos are good. Well, and I do not, I do not, dis- I do not besmirch, especially Mr. S. Licker, Mrs. Anderson's taco making. I'm not going to like harsh anybody's. They're all good tacos, but I'm afraid Jennifer's correct here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dr. Joe, Heather, Jennifer, and Larry, thank you very, very much for, for not only participating in this conversation, giving us your time tonight letting us uh, help you speak to the voters so they can make their best decisions when they go cast their votes. But also thank you for making the decision to put your hat in the ring and run for office. That's not easy. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. So thank you all very much. And as we say to everybody, good luck in the election and in all things coming forward. That will wrap us up for this conversation. We'll talk to everybody on Monday. 